0: Hello, creeps. I'll be your ghost. I mean, host. As we delve the crypts of spooky movies and even spookier theory. Welcome to Horror Vanguard. Oh, all right. All right. It is November. We are recording. It's wonderful. I certainly don't feel trapped alive how are you feeling today John uh <laughs>
1: <laughs> I I also I also don't feel like any pun that we can shoehorn into this opening <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh sometimes sometimes the big uh, uh horrifying rusty blood-stained claw of life just unexpectedly lifts you out of the abandoned mine shaft you know, sometimes it's just like that. So this this movie is so personal when you think about it.
1: I, I mean, it absolutely is. <laughs> it absolutely is. It's my it's my favorite documentary about life in Wisconsin.
0: I mean, I mean, like for for our listeners out there, this is what it's like. You, everywhere in Wisconsin, you know, like like from from Racine all the way up, like it, it is just trapped alive. If if you spend more than a year in Wisconsin, you legally have to become one of the characters from Trapped Alive.
1: I, I, I've heard this is true. I've heard this is true.
0: The, the, this is why I have half mutant uh, cave miner affect, because that's what I picked. I
1: think that explains a lot about you. <laughs> I think that explains a lot about you. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, that's we, good, that's good I'm, I'm glad it reads <laughs> Should we Should we talk about Should we introduce the film that we're talking about So all of this will make sense
0: We should, we should uh, Today we are talking about a wonderful little movie Called Trapped Alive Recently got a re-release from Arrow But this is a Somewhat lost 1988 Wisconsin horror movie Filmed by Leszek Brzezinski Okay, yeah <laughs> I, what what and, else? What else do you need? What else do you yeah, need to else, know? What else, else, else do you need like...
1: to know? How, was it lost for a reason? Is it exciting that there's a reissue? Hopefully, all of these answers answers to all of these questions and more will be revealed. But first,
0: <laughs>
1: but first, uh, you know, I don't feel like I could really explain this film. You know, I'm not. I'm not a Wisconsinite. I don't have the same. I don't have the. I don't have the. I'm going to need you to lay this out as a as a as a proud son of Wisconsin. Would you? <laughs> would you? I don't. I don't know if that's a thing. Uh, but would you mind explaining what "Trapped Alive" is about?
0: I am. I am accidentally wearing Packers colors today, so this is this is topical and appropriate. I've been finding myself coming back to the idea of the working class. While it's perhaps too simple to give a textbook definition of class something does get lost in the transliteration. Working class is a status assigned to those individuals who do not own the means of production and, instead, earn our living through the leasing of our bodies, minds, and souls. However, working class is also a physical and temporal place where one becomes trapped alive. We become enmeshed in the tangles of our class position like we're trying to swim to the surface through the discarded plastic nets of systemically enforced poverty. It becomes hard to even see each other, let alone the surface, through the industrial runoff of the boss's propaganda. Aesthetics come to supersede material analysis. Class becomes an act of branding as Carhartt logos and gendered job titles come to signify class more than the class itself. We lose sight of each other, THE working class, as the only class capable of abolishing itself and become doubly mired. Conservative appropriators of working class politics are always telling us to return to the minds. That, the real working class, belongs in those dark tunnels with lungs full of dust. This is nothing short of language games and propaganda, but maybe we did leave something behind in those mines. Something we can only have in the dark. On May 19th of 1920, the United States saw its largest insurrectionary battle since the Civil War. 6,000 Union miners from West Virginia fought with the mine bosses hired goons from the Baldwin Feltz Detective Agency. This was the Battle of Blair Mountain. Despite the historic scale of the Battle of Blair Mountain, you might not have heard about it until now. It barely makes the textbooks, and features as a footnote in the hegemonic narratives of our history. These are the moments hidden behind the warp and weft of great man history. May the dust of
1: time not erase
0: from the memory of man. What we left down there in the dark is our history. It's deep within those minds, and the legacy of the working class finds its roots weaving through the earth. Exploited, broken, betrayed, ours is a hidden history. Let us ascend into the darkness and see each other as we are, when we discuss Trapped Alive. I'm on the verge of discovering a secret that will lead to immense power.
1: Oh, beautiful. Beautiful.
0: (laughs) Um,
1: well... Where else should we start? Where else should we begin if not with the formalism zone
0: we gotta we've gotta do our our formalism mining so that we, people, yeah, people know to, we're <laughs> we're aesthetically appropriate to our class
1: uh yeah we've gotta yeah we've gotta we've gotta get on the little <laughs> cart and get like pushed down into the depths of cinema to try and <laughs> this is where
0: podcasting comes from.
1: This is yeah. <laughs> podcasters, of course. Uh, you know, everyone goes, "Oh, it's the miners, the, the real working class." Uh, nobody ever talks about the podcasters, do they? Nobody ever brings them
0: up. And this, this honestly, is a is a is a problem with the with politics as aesthetics. We we, we forget we forget about the battle of SoundCloud Mountain. <laughs> Zing! Shots fired! Um, shots fired! That doesn't even apply. Their brain. What was that? <laughs> but I think we should start off by talking about uh God's own country, one of the most beautiful places on the earth. Um a, a blessed landscape Wisconsin. Mhm. Milwaukee, the good land.
1: Uh is this the is this the second or third Wisconsin horror movie we've done on the show?
0: Ooh, I do believe so we did uh we've done Trapped Alive, we've done Giant Spider Invasion. So I think this is the second, but then again, the most beautiful thing about Wisconsin cinema is that y- you know like a- every movie that 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 is touched by the sun in a way contains within itself a part of Wisconsin. So who's to say? <laughs>
1: You know, if I was, if I was, if I was a, a a kind of more vindictive man, I would ask you to justify that statement. But because I'm, because I'm nice, I'm just going to take it, and we're just going to move on. We're just going to move on.
0: Thank, thank you. <laughs> so I think that I think I think it is worth talking about the formal qualities of Wisconsin, right? Like this, this was. Put together by a Wisconsin studio that quickly fumbled. Wisconsin did have its own, like, I hesitate to say booming, but it did have a very active film industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it turned out a surprising number, like, like Bill Rebane's movies, the like Giant Spider Invasion is one of them, Twister's Revenge, the movie about the semi sentient monster truck. Um, there are a lot of really interesting films. You know, like, are are any of them good on like technical levels? Probably not. But like I don't know we're not you you're currently listening to Horror Vanguard, the podcast that historically is less concerned about that <laughs> absolutely uh i mean i think I think we should point out
1: we should point out that on a technical level the the film is is um uh it's a film it is it's uh i think the biggest the biggest kind of issue i had with the version that i was watching is that the sound mixing
0: is very weird um yes this is so and like i'm not to be one of those guys but this is one of the movies where if if you really want to watch it you do have to get that arrow video restoration copy that that cleans up the sound and the visuals pretty nicely
1: yeah there, there is a, there is a, there is a version that is floating around out there. There's, uh, it can, <laughs> it, it, it can be found on archive.org. Yep.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah, you you can watch that movie there.
1: But yeah, it's um, it's a slightly technically a slightly weird film. Uh, it's clearly made for literally no money. Um, <laughs> but but uh, it's uh, like uh, the mine itself looks. Uh, sort of like beautiful it looks beautiful it sort of looks like um like a a low budget star Trek episode where they go to like the rock planet oh yeah
0: (laughs) yep 100 percent
1: uh and the mine itself seems to be like four rooms and a giant puddle and that's about it
0: (laughs) it's it's beautiful it's fantastic i mean but i i do i do think there's like like from a left film criticism perspective i think there's a lot of interesting conversations that we can have because of this and it's you know, obviously there are great conversations to have about like the access to the material technologies required to make quote unquote good cinema. Yeah. And, and how we're and how like a lot of the conversation about what is a good movie winds up recreating like the the phrenologies of art. Right. Like winds up kind of just rebranding the oh highbrow, lowbrow, uh, uh, very problematic, discursive frameworks. Right. And it's, uh, I I mean, the, the, this movie is definitely a little weird, but I think it's, as far as like, as far as movies that I've been like, hey, we should watch this. And it's like two, two, two and a half hours with three lines of dialogue and a lot of like mysterious, like mechanical grinding noises. You, you know, like the, this movie is not that. This movie is very much like a serviceable monster slasher flick.
1: That, now that's an interesting statement because I don't agree and not (laughs) well not because not because I don't agree with like the first half of what you said I just don't believe that this is a monster slasher flick
0: now did you see how I cleverly connected those two things together
1: (laughs) (laughs) uh but but we should probably talk about the representation of mining on film because this is a mind movie. Yes,
0: absolutely. Uh,
1: and I think the obvious point of reference here is the 1976 Oscar-winning documentary Bloody Harlan,
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: which is about the um, epic long strike that happened in Harlan County. The filmmaker, I'm going to have to look up her name. Uh, Barbara
0: Koppel, I think.
1: Yes, yes, it is Barbara Koppel. Yeah. Uh, Barbara Koppel. movie is...
0: Uh- also under the name Harlan County USA.
1: Yes, yeah, yeah. Harlan County USA. Um it is it's a great film. You should absolutely watch it. Barbara Koppel says that the miners saved saved her life. Um, and it's really good at explaining the the kind of historicity of mining. So much so much of mining is completely unobserved, right? And this is true for mines across the coal belt in in uh so much of the u.s and in the UK and in mines mining communities in the u.s like the work historically is very dangerous and is completely unobserved and mines are incredibly by their nature are closed off right so mm-hmm. taking cameras into the mines in like the 70s you've got like a hundred years of history that was never observed that was never seen apart from yeah. a very small group of people so like I think the representation of mining and the representation of a mine, ah, uh, is is super important. And so the other point of reference, to this film, is probably something like My Bloody Valentine, right?
0: Absolutely, like this is this is in conversation with My Bloody Valentine, The Descent, a, a lot of these movies about mining, mines and caverns, and and the kind of kind of the history of of humans underground, especially as that relates to labor and i think that this movie is also I, I think it like interestingly intersects with conversations about prison abolition oh you, you we know, will, like we will get onto that we will get onto oh, that oh we we will talk about Mongo. yeah um but but i think like a lot of spaces and this is this is a lot of what i talked about in the precy, but like a lot of the condition of being working class is kind of being trapped alive you know like especially here in the united states where there's no health care coverage at all like I know, I know so many people that, you know, they feel like, oh, why, why bother trying to like save up or like, you know, do, do anything like that? Because one, one bad sickness or injury and it's all gone anyway, you know, like we're, we're very much like class, class isn't in and of itself a mine, you know, it, it isn't in and of itself a place where we are trapped because of the labor that we do. And, the, you know, like the prison system is the natural reflection of this, right? Like, what do you do with the surplus labor? You know, like you you just jail them, you, you know, like you just insert them into these systems of political and political, economic and physical control.
1: Well, I, I'm very glad that you brought this up. Uh, and so because this brings up one of my favorite quotes. Um, it's super important by a, by a writer. Uh, by a writer who died fairly recently, Barbara Ehrenreich, who wrote a book mm-hmm. called Nickel, Nickel and Dimed which is about the working poor, quote-unquote. The working poor, as they are are approvingly termed, are in fact the major philanthropists of our society. They neglect their own children so the children of others will be cared for. They live in substandard housing so that other homes will be shiny and perfect. They endure privation so that inflation will be low and stock prices will be high. To be a member of the working poor is to be an anonymous donor, a nameless benefactor to everyone else. And it's like you saw this you saw this when Trump was uh, you know talking about opening coal mines back up. It's like him and everyone like him does not give a fuck about mining communities. Mm-hmm. Uh like the 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 best the best kind of musical response to that is something like Chatpiles new album, a band that is yes, that is yes. literally named after like the toxic runoff that, like, generations of people in Oklahoma died pulling out of the earth. hmm So it's like... It's
0: Absolutely, like, yeah.
1: You know, I I, I think the, the representation of mining and mining communities on, on, on film is super important, mostly because so much of that work and so much of that way of life is not something that people are kind of willingly ignorant of, but those labor processes themselves are deliberately obfuscated right mm mm-hmm. you we live in systems which are designed to be almost impossible for us to understand without sizable work so this is what makes me say that this is not this is not a monster movie or rather or rather the monster in this film is not what you might initially think it is
0: oh yeah this is 100% accurate so that, i also think it's important oh go on go on
1: so like the point i was going to make is like our slasher killer monster in the mind doesn't appear until over an hour into the film yep the film is a tight 90 (laughs) (laughs) so for for two-thirds of this film there is no there is no quote-unquote monster in the mind right uh there's no pov stalking shots there's there is like maybe one or two attempts to set up some foreshadowing but that and you can go. Okay, well, maybe that's just because the film's not very good. But that's a very cynical way of approaching it. But in fact, like the whole point of this is that the the the, the monster is the kind of wreckage of history that you've fallen into.
0: I I completely completely agree with that. And like, we'll we'll, we'll get on to the monster more in our discussion our, the discussion section of today's lecture. We'll get on to the monster a bit. But I think I think it's also really important to kind of like flag up that this is like low budget horror. Yeah. You know, and that's like because like, you know, like you're never going to hear about the bladder, (laughs) the battle of Blair Mountain in a textbook. And if you do, it's going to be a footnote or a passing comment about some some workers who were rightfully and justly put down by the hand of the state. You know, like like we will never hear our own history But we do get we do get glimpses. We do get attempts at telling these stories that are often smuggled out in outsider art more broadly. Right. In stuff like low budget horror movies that don't have the kind of financial incentives to to toe the line. Right. Like you you can put these things back out into the world when you're not like a a Disney movie would have to do a lot of recuperation to tell these stories, you know?
1: Yeah, Absolutely. And, and the, the, the Disney movie would be like, oh, we used to work in the mine, but we're happy that we don't anymore. And thankfully, a new, fa- a new Amazon distribution warehouse is opened in yep. our neighborhood and we're
0: not allowed to be in the union anymore. <laughs> or like, like the, the Disney Battle of Blair Mountain is about a, an assistant manager of, of the mine who's in love with the boss's daughter who's 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 the only one who can bring peace to both sides. And it winds up being those violent extremist union organizers that are the unreasonable ones who won't come to the table like that. That's the Disneyfied version of this, but, but entrapped alive, like, like, no, it's just, it's just a bunch of like, 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 like this is a system. This is a process that just keeps injuring working class people and keeps bringing them to monstrosity.
1: Um, so really, I don't, I don't think there is a, there is a straightforward monster in this. And I have to, as we wrap up the formalism zone, I I have to say that I think this is maybe my, uh, maybe my, the, my favorite Christmas movie I've watched all year.
0: This is, this is one of the, the better, like, 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 you know, like you do, oh, is Die Hard a Christmas movie? This is literally a Christmas movie. We see a Christmas party that people are attending and like, it is. It is one hundred percent that, and like I think that that's also really interesting to to do this all on Christmas, but to have no like Christmas th- thematics going on. It's it's very in, it's unnecessary and in the background, but I think that that makes it incredibly thematically interesting. You, you know, like there are all these interesting reads we could do of the fact that this is set around the holidays, right? Like from from winter and mining all, all the way over to like. The intersection of capitalism and Christianity and the idea of like gift economies and holidays based on giving like there's there's just so much here. Trapped Alive is discursively rich is what I'm trying to say.
1: Well, would you would you like to conclude our uh, initial shift at the formalism coal face and head deep, <laughs> and head deeper into the discursive
0: mind? Let's let, let's let's do it. Let's let's wrangle. Let's wrangle these discursive bell rogs.
1: Uh, and, and and oh, no. Oh, oh no. I've I've accidentally fallen. I've fallen into the <laughs> into the ACAB mineshaft and I can't get out.
0: <laughs> well, it looks like we're going to have to do some digging.
1: Uh, should we talk about how this how this film feel, feels about about the cops?
0: So, so what I what I will say, and I can't believe I'm going to say this, is that this movie is an, is an incredibly successful piece of theory fiction. Uh, because there is <laughs> this, <laughs>
1: <laughs> like me, 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 weeping Ash. You can't just keep calling everything a piece of theory fiction, Ash. I can. Ash I can. pointing at a seagull, theory fiction. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, like when when the when our kind of like bumbling cop. It gets trapped in the mine with the rest of our characters, right? Like the, the, the kind of like bog standard horror approach would have him being the kind of competent hero who maybe has to learn to reluctantly work with the, the criminals, right? Or, 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 or somehow like put them in line, you know, and get everything working. But in this movie, like he is an active hindrance towards the survival of everyone in this mine. Yeah. He gets people killed. And, and the only time, like, the only time he even becomes, like, mildly useful is when he's been subordinated and dispossessed of all of his power and armaments by the three people in this movie. Or the, the, there, there are, like, two, like, sorority girls that, that are also stuck with them in the mine. They were on their way to a Christmas party and got into the, stuck into all these events. Man is reacquiring his earthly faculties. Hello. Hello. The last, the last thing I heard you say was "sorority girls." Sorority girls, uh, one of one of HV's magic phrases <laughs> that, that, that causes but, one or both of our internet to drop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Whenever we say sorority girls, the internet gets really shaky. <laughs> but no, like, so like the only time the, that the cop in this movie becomes useful is when he's subordinated and disarmed. By the two sorority girls, um, <clears throat> and the 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 kind of like one of the 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 survivor of the escaped prisoners, right? And even after that, like he he his like leg immediately breaks the second after that, further cementing to us the viewer that he is not materially helpful and is in fact a burden that these working people have to carry, literally throughout throughout the course of of the movie, right? <clears throat> and. You know, in his character arc ends when he dies, but he dies with the woman who is now kind of problematically the new owner of the mine. They both blow up together down in the earth in the mine, right? Like, like the, the, the abolition of class necessarily involves the kind of like c- certain, certain like class positions, right? Certain jobs, certain ways of interfacing with the world. Like, you know, being atomized and removed and made unthinkable, you know? And like, th- th- this movie has a very interesting way of walking through that conversation. I mean, they're, they're, they literally have,
1: they, there is literally a, a, a conversation between three characters about the degree to which people who have been incarcerated are... Still, still count as citizens, right? Because, because uh, mm-hmm. you know, let's let's just be as clear as possible. The American prison system is not about any sense of justice other than v- no. vengeance, right? That's what it's for. It's yeah. the revenge. It's the revenge of capital upon the, upon the bodies and liberties of those who have fallen foul of capital itself, right? That's what it is. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, so, like, and and the really kind of notable thing again, this probably makes me sound like a very naive and very non-American, but the very notable thing is like, if you're, if you've been incarcerated, then that's, that doesn't end when you leave, when you leave, it doesn't end like you don't get to be free again. You don't get to have like, you don't get to, you don't get to vote. Uh, I believe in lots of States, you don't get access to any kind of like uh, unemployment benefits uh, or like a so, social security benefit so it's like it's so it's so sort of weird it's the bit of the film that I like the most which is where they have this conversation about like actually who should you trust and what does it mean to actually have a kind of like uh, to take seriously the freedom of someone who used to be in prison
0: absolutely 100% absolutely right and, and by, by the ending of the movie too, the ending of the movie doesn't – a simpler film, right? A film with a, a, a more basic and less refined theoretical approach to these issues would have like – so, so the, 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 the legend of terrible B-horror movies, Cameron Mitchell, uh, plays, plays the father of one of the sorority girls. Uh, he's, he's like the local judge, you know, he's very important in the local, uh, you know, like jurisdictional system, jurisdictional. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> but like a, a much more simpler version of this movie would have had the ending of the movie. He would have instantly on the spot, pardoned the, the, the one criminal who's, who's also like, he's like a young man and like he he's, he's the kind of like classic, oh he just got caught up in a bad rap and like you know he he just needs his chance kind of guy and, and like but the movie doesn't do that like like, like literally the, the end of the movie is him being brutalized by the police and hauled away in a cop car while while Cameron Mitchell promises to do something but we what what does that mean you know like what what is the weight of a judge's promise you know like
1: so and so this is why this is why before we started recording I said look, this this is this ultimately is a movie of liberalism this is a liberal movie mm-hmm. uh, it it raises these very interesting questions about the 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 agency of ordinary people to like constitute their own social relationships in the point of crisis right as soon as the crisis <laughs> is resolved. Like she goes back to her, her her dad, who's the judge, and it's like, oh, you will be nice to him as he's as he's like spread-eagled in the snow and handcuffed and like thrown into the back of a van, and it's mm-hmm. like it's like this is this is a film about liberalism, right? Because it, it its idea is like, well, if only we had better police officers, when it when for a second it entertained the notion that maybe police
0: officers are not necessary at all. Well, I think I, I think like this is this is where the text becomes much more complicated because I think by this point in the movie, by the end of the film, we are very um close to to Hot Rod, right? Hot Rod is the the kind of the, the name of the like last surviving prisoner, right? Like the guy who gets arrested at the end. You know, like we've come to sympathize with him. We've seen how good his character is. You know, like like you know, despite him being on the wrong side of the law, he is on the right side of goodness. And like we're with him, we're rooting for him, like for his survival and his success, and and to see that end, it's very it's very horrific, it's it's very jarring with what the rest of the film is setting up, and and to kind of like hear that like hollow promise of the judge, you know, because like the sorority girl that, who has fallen in love with Hot Rod through the events of the film, like is like oh you're gonna you're gonna help him right you know, and Cameron Mitchell's like yeah yeah yeah, and and like. To to hear that kind of like casual dismissal and like it it is very liberal, but I don't know if it's on the side of that liberalism. Well, I I, I, well, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't say it's pr- a principled left critique or whatever, but I would say it opens the door for us us having different sympathies.
1: I think that's totally true, and I I, I sort of agree with you up to a point, but I think to get past the uh, kind of liberalism of the text you have to sort of read it against itself because just by because the very act of going oh you see he's a nice man he's a nice it's like it's it's still it's still implicitly justifying the, yes. the violence of the carceral state against anyone who doesn't meet a kind of arbitrary and very prescriptive notion of what niceness means right the very, this, the, this, very this the, film, the very mechanics of the film the very mechanics of the film are invested in a kind of liberal ideology and you're right there is there is the possibility of like actual kind of leftist work to go into it but i do think i do think we have to read the film against itself in order to get there
0: yeah i I do i do think some some of that is necessary and some of that is also inherent to the text right there are no likable cops in this film they're all kind of monstrous and useless you, you know, like, like it doesn't open us so much potential. Like, like a lot of horror movies, we we have to, like, read against the text to figure out what to do with, like, police and horror. But, like, with this one, it's, like, very, very clearly not <laughs> on his side.
1: Yeah, but it is on the side of, like, it is on the side of, The system of like, that he
0: comes from. The system yeah. that he comes
1: from. And it's like, oh, well, if we had a nice judge, and you're like, yep. well, the judge is just as bad. The judge is just as bad, right? Let's... But... This this gets this gets even more complicated when you look at the kind of sexual politics of this film as well, right?
0: Yes, yeah, and we should we should talk about that because there is a lot going on here. Where should we start? Well, like like first, I, I think it's important to talk about sexual violence and policing, right? Because one of the most common defenses and counter arguments to the de- defund and abol- abolish the police. Is that like, oh, well, then all of all of these rapists and sexual criminals will just be let go. But what we find out through the court with this movie, what I should say, what this movie displays, I think, very starkly is that the, the the police do not pursue those crimes. They have virtually no power there, nor do they care.
1: Yeah. You know, this whole thing of like, oh, who's going to who's going to catch people who, who uh, commit sexual crimes or sexual violence if we get rid of the police? Well, it's like, who's catching them now? Yeah. <laughs> like they, they don't the police don't protect anybody the police don't don't keep people safe um and as we find out in this film uh, there is a direct link to the libidinal economy of the police and
0: their own violence yep. exactly yes and it, and it, and it ties, ties with like so he treats the two sorority girls the same way he treats the surviving criminals. Right. They, they they are a negative outside force that needs to be managed by his authority. Right? Like like it's it's the inherent criminality of being a woman or being feminine, right? Like it's the ways in which the policing intersects with the patriarchy and also with class to form these broader systems of oppressive power.
1: Um, yeah and of course it, it comes with a with a commitment to uh the 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 favorite word of this police officer which is uh procedures yep uh, this guy he loves procedures he loves he loves uh he loves procedures because uh procedures mean that you don't have to deal with people as they actually are you can just abstract them into sort of like ephemeral data points to move them around and that way you get to mm-hmm. be you get to be very
0: violent when people don't do as you want exactly and he's even so so he he becomes increasingly confronted by the sorority girls and hot rod um through through through, through the film and like at one point um our surviving our, our final girl is is like just straight up asking him like you know like are you capable of making decisions on your own or anything and he, and he he literally uh, uh, says like no, I'm not and that's why we have rules and regulations and procedures you know like like he is this is he's just literally doing like banality of evil, but I had my orders kind of stuff
1: yeah there's there's a there's a there's absolutely a fascism latent within yes uh American representations of of law enforcement within law enforcement too but like the the whole point and this film is a, is at least more honest about it, but the whole point of all of the cultural propaganda is to make that fascism acceptable.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. A- a- absolutely. And I think like the, this this horror movies have a problem with propaganda, right? Because police are often heroes to to some extent, and and like on, on this show we do a lot of like like ca- counter readings to the text to try and like explore that. And and see, see what we can do with those scenes. And I think that this is one of the movies where like maybe because of its proximity to mind labor, like it feels much more clear about. It's not clear about, you know, like the larger systems of justice and policing and prisons, but it is kind of clear about police themselves. Yes. Yeah, I think that's true. I think that's true. Oh there is there is this amazing line too where Hot Rod is talking to the cop and he says you don't have anything straight in your mind do you <laughs> And it's and it's just like it's like yes yes because he is ideologically possessed right like like he 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 is a a servant of an oppressive ideological system he he by definition cannot have something straight in his mind
1: I think we should talk about we should talk about the the kind of monster in the mine, though. Even though this is not really a movie about monster in a mine, uh, <laughs> what do you think about how the film kind of presents the monster?
0: So this this I find to be so interesting, right? So the monster in this mine is the daughter of a woman named Rachel, who we met earlier. Um, who who it's intimated has been kind of tricking people into get going down into the mine and getting captured by her father, who was a miner, and the mine caved in. And as classic horror formulations go, he was trapped so long down there that he mutated into a big cave monster man, <laughs> uh, which I, I, I find to be interesting. There, there's so much here. That's so, Oh my God, there's where do we even start unpacking this? But I think it's, it's incredibly interesting that like working class labor is synecdoche for monstrosity in this film, and I think there's there's kind of a really damning truth to that because a lot of working class labor, it would like like it will destroy your body, it will destroy your mind. Like we are literally paying with with our entity, we're paying with ourselves. Right, like, like we sell off parts of our body and parts of our mind through time and through labor, and like necessarily we walk out of that damaged. We walk out of that changed and not always for the better.
1: But the thing is, the thing is, uh, there are a couple of things about it which I think are interesting. Right, so I agree with you absolutely. Um, but also, I think the reaction of all of the people. Who the the survivors in the mine, um, their reactions mm-hmm. are so mute, muted, and so sort of like, oh that's that's annoying, and I'm like, <laughs> not only do not only do we are we made monstrous, but we become accustomed to monstrosity too, yes, right. It it stops being shocking because our general condition is so kind of precarious and shocking anyway, and like the, this monster Absolutely. is 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 killed off really relatively quickly and easily.
0: Oh, yeah, he's just just randomly dispatched when no longer needed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, like... In- interestingly, killed by the surviving sorority girl with a pole down the throat, so there's, like... There's some interesting psychosexual phallic stuff going on there.
1: Well, once again, Carol Clover is just proven right as usual. She ne- never
0: misses, <laughs> never wrong,
1: yeah. Um, and, like... But- but like the point that I wanted to make is, the liberal, the uh, what what our good friend and essentially third host of the show, Labour Kyle, call, call <laughs> calls liberal fascism. There's a kind of nostalgia in that which romanticizes the a kind of like authentic working class, right? The authentic, yes. which is usually code for. Uh, white people when of course we know that the vast majority of the working class is it's not white um but also that nostalgia does raise the question of actually what what happens to the working class when that labor is used up and discarded right what happened to mining communities across the united states and across the uk when mining labor was no longer when when those in power were no longer willing to bargain with working class militancy and working class organized labor and what happens is as we've seen a massive uh, kind of an existential crisis right you th- you there is there is you know i have a friend who's a doctor and who works in a kind of like a very deprived area of the country and they talk about like it sounds callous, but they talk about what's called shit life syndrome, right? People, mm-hmm. people who who who's kind of like uh, communities have this kind of like existential uh, kind of horror to them, and you see it in things like the opioid epidemic, the opioid crisis. Like yep. as, as you put bodies which get used up, like made monstrous and then completely hollowed out, and are easily kind of like vanished away. So that final, that final scene, I think, really struck me as very powerful.
0: Absolutely. And what what I find, so something I find really compelling and really interesting, because you're absolutely right. And like, this is always a side of horror, right? Like, like horror is inexorable here. Horror is, you know, like in, in the Precy, I was talking about like, you know, like we find ourselves in the dark. You know, we are born to this. To, to be working class is to be of this darkness. And that's something that we need to kind of grapple with, because I think... Like just like the whole Silent Hill franchise is premised on Centralia, Pennsylvania, yeah, Uh, a coal mining town. You you know, like this is horror. Like very, like underscore that, put it in italics. Like this is what horror is. And I, I think, like you know, like a lot of conservatives love working class aesthetics. They love the working class as an aesthetic formulation. Because that can defang what the working class actually is, which is the dominant political body in all cultures on the planet. (laughs) Like, turn it into something that's useful for them, right? Turn it into this legitimate threat and this legitimate existential problem into uh, a neat little trick that they have, and that's like, you know, like like you you hit it on the head. It's it's like the working class as whiteness as cis heteronormativity. Right. Like as, as these really just banal cultural signifiers. And this movie kind of walks through that space in a really interesting way. So the mine uh, collapses, trapping the father, turning him into this kind of uh, mine cave beast. And now the daughter is, in effect, the new owner of the mine. Right. She's now in charge. Right. she And she also now is using her father's labor to kind of capture these people and eat them. Right. She's she's now grinding up people that can be lost and subsume and consumed in the mines. And it's intimated that she's been doing this since her childhood or at least for years. And like so so countless people have must have lost and gone astray. And like we know from our real world experiences, like who, who are the people that can be that can go missing without questions? It's it's the poor. It's the working class. It's people with disabilities. It's women. It's sex workers. Like, like th- those are the people that can be vanished, at least much easier than others. And like this, this, this movie is kind of, I, I think a way to read that is a challenge to working class as aesthetics. Well, you know, like well, like, working like class is not Carhartt hats. Yeah. It's, it's a class position. It's well, material.
1: I mean, I don't, I don't want to be the downer here, but like, I was thinking about Do w- it. what you're saying about like, what is the working class? Like, and, uh, you know people w- will have seen that uh, the uh, Mike Davis passed away this week which is yeah uh, tragedy. profoundly profoundly sad but Davis uh, wrote a lot about this idea of agency which is like it, it is that is the working class still the agent of history it is it because it hasn't been so far and in fact that agency has 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 not been exercised it hasn't you know they won right you know the, this idea of like the appropriation of the working class into a kind of set of aesthetic markers. It worked. It it won. Class consciousness in America, particularly, but uh, generally all all over kind of uh, the the anglophone or or uh, world has never been lower. Um, and so it's like, what is the working class now? the answer that this film gives and i think the answer that you know someone like mike davis would give is it's fuel it's yeah. it's fuel it's fuel that is turned inward um that's that's what it is and that has to be undone because without it there's no space in which we can rediscover the agency mm-hmm. that is exercised through class consciousness
0: absolutely and and this isn't to say that we should Discard completely aesthetics as part of the working class, but to recognize that, like, it's but part part of the work that we're doing is to end the class system entirely, right? Like, it's to create a world wherein there is no working class, there is no boss class, the the, the class system is is no longer a factor of the human condition. Yeah, and you, you, know, you like,
1: and, and and this is this is why this is why the ending of the film really rubs me the wrong way because you have this kind of like exposure of inter-class anti- antagonism, right? The way in which the working class kind of turns inward and is kind of like physically, physically kind of turns in on itself. And what happens at the end, a survivor who sees this and he kind of like for- forges an alliance with, you know, the imprisoned, uh, yeah, like runs back to the arms of a judge and it's like, "Oh, we were we were so close. We were so close to like going, no, it isn't it isn't about the individual. It's not about like the the troubled bad boy with a heart of gold. It's about like the the this the it's it really underscores the difference between kind of like that aestheticized in the liberal individualism and like what what would it mean for class consciousness to be a thing yep. what what would it mean for from the ruins of the abandoned mine of history us to pull out the militancy that that kind of lies dormant there
0: i i and i completely agree and i think like this is this is perhaps where my opinion on the end of the film diverges a bit and it's that there's a kind of like gothic ambiguity going on at, at, at the end of this film that's we see we see what happens when you kind of you leave the mine of history and, and you reenter the normative systems of the world. And like we, we don't really know how hard she fights for his liberation after this point. We don't really know what the judge the father does. We'll never know. I mean that, I mean to there, lean in something grim and horrifically real about that to to lean into the
1: gothicism of it right that he there are there are few indications of the kind of classic incestuous father trope which is like yeah very, oh very, yeah very, yeah
0: very I don't, like
1: she's she's like a she's like an Anne Radcliffe heroine who goes back
0: into her uncle's creepy castle like yes <laughs> yes and that, that, that's like, oh, my God, that's big because there's like there's a scene in the beginning, too, which speak of like the incestuous gothic readings we could do of this film when she leaves. She's she's at like a, her father's kind of like Christmas holiday party and she's leaving to go spend time with her friends. And she she kisses her father on the lips, which might have been because it was Cameron Mitchell. And uh, but like that's a little a little odd, a little like like she she is 100 percent like. You know because like the gothic is such a subterranean genre too there, there were so many catacombs and crypts and mausoleums and underground passages and secrets and these kind of things hidden in the earth and and in a way she she's kind of like a grim example of like because she's in like this kind of weird class position right like as as the daughter of the local judge who's who was forced down into the mines um by circumstance you know which, is interesting in and of itself but but here in the end of the film i think like the, the, the this this movie is for for me like really interesting but also an incredible downer like this is downer cinema you know like if you like movies that have like really kind of like harsh depressive tones like for me that was like my viewing experience of this because like we for one brief moment in the darkness of the minds encounter each other as as people like like we have we have a man who is incarcerated and a member of the working class and, and a woman who, who, who faces gender depression connecting with each other, seeing seeing the sinew that binds them. And then the the horrible light of dawn washes it all away. I mean, and it's. It, I, I I agree with you, right? But the thing
1: that annoys me is like the two of them realize they have agency, and really, their time in the in the mine is about the exercise and discovery of of collective agency. Absolutely. And as soon as, as soon as she gets out, no agency. The agent. It's not even. It's not even that she doesn't try. It's that she doesn't want to try.
0: No, yeah, yeah. And I think, like, it's also a little bit left to us, the viewer, because I agree. Like, is she just a young woman uh, uh, clinging to the arms of her creepy, uh, gothic baron of a father after after the wake of something incredibly traumatic? Does she wake up the next day and and say, like, like Dad, if you don't free him, I'm leaving? You know, like, do, does she throw the gauntlet down? Or does she wake up the next day and Dad goes, well, he needs... <clears throat> he did manhandle that police officer. He does need to learn an important lesson. And she goes, oh, well, okay, dad. We we just, it's left to us, the viewer, to kind of make that decision, right? Like there's something that's been handed back to us by this movie. It's almost as if it's past us, this grim baton. Do you, do you? <laughs> <laughs> do you- How's it going over there?
1: uh i i mean i i don't i don't disagree i don't disagree mm-hmm. but i think i think this is a, a cool it's a it presents its ending in a way that i th- i think i know which way things are gonna go
0: i and see i will 100 percent agree with with that i in my heart I, I want something I want something different and more beautiful and more just for this world but this is kind of a pessimism of the intellect optimism of the will moment. Yeah, maybe maybe it's about the necessity of like holding on to that
1: as as a possibility. Yeah. Um you, do you have any any final
0: thoughts? Um the the only other thing that I think I mean like I shouldn't say the only other thing because there's so many other things that we need that we could touch on in this movie. I think like whether or not you find this to be like a quote-unquote good horror movie or something that you enjoyed watching, however you define enjoyment, it, it, even if we if we set that aside for a moment, there is so much to discuss in this film. Um, it's it's like, you know, like the, my favorite episodes of this show, my favorite movies that we talk about are the ones where at the end of the episode we're both going like, there's still so much to talk about here and we just, there's just not enough time in the day. I mean, and I-, I think I would like to... Oh, go on! No, 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 go on, go on. Oh, I was gonna say I, I would like to briefly touch on Mongo. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, he he's one of the, the. So there are three prisoners that that uh stage their their daring escape. There's Face, a notorious child murderer. Hot Rod, a a like he's he's a driver, right? He's the guy driving he's, the getaway car in yeah, the bank robbery. He's
1: Baby Driver. That's who he is. <laughs>
0: yes, he's Baby Driver. But uh, he, he was tragically and accidentally involved in the death of a child, which is which is why he's he's got this harder prison rap than maybe is right for him. Um, and then there's Mongo. And as you can tell by his name, which is a problematic kind of stock character, uh, M- Mongo is very physically intimidating, but cognitively, he's his, his abilities are quite limited. Um, the, you know, like the, the movie doesn't lean into any particular direction, whether this is developmental or some kind of mental illness. But nevertheless, it's a broad kind of ableist trope for all of that. Oh, yeah. And I think the, the movie doesn't one obviously doesn't handle that very well, that 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 kind of material. This is again, we're going back to horror being perhaps at its worst when it's dealing with mental health. But I I almost found that there were a lot of moments where, like, you could sympathize with him, because face face is very clearly like the bad guy, right? Like he he's 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 the unrepentant killer. You know, he's he's just out for himself and himself alone, and he's using Hot Rod for his motor skills and he's using Mongo for his physical strength. Right? He's he's manipulating these people. There's. There's weird conversations about bosses and who gets to be in charge of whose body in this movie. But yeah, definitely. And I think Mongo gets caught up in all of that.
1: I mean, this is why I think you're right when people ask I've seen some reviews for this movie where they go, "Oh, it's not a good horror movie." And I'm like, "Is that all we do?" Right? Oh my
0: god, yes. Is yep.
1: that is that all we do? Do we go, "It's a What do we mean by good? Because what it is is it's part of like a living record of cultural history. Um, yes, in all of its in all of its like in all of its kind of liberalism and contradictions and ableism and misogyny and uh, kind of class politics, it's all there. And so when you go, oh, is this a good movie? You you're limiting the scope of what art can be, and you're kind of dehistor yes. dehistoricising it. To a degree mm-hmm. to a degree which is there's a kind of like epistemic erasure happening within that
0: yeah if you're if your film critic boyfriend is just saying if movies are good or bad or not you're single to me <laughs> what, what what's he gonna do tell me trapped alive wasn't a good movie yeah wh-
1: what's he gonna what's he gonna do give me a star rating out of five
0: <laughs> <laughs> no and like like to, to to be to be like just 100 percent clear about this and to to, to throw the gauntlet down like that, that 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 is nothing like if that is your approach to film criticism, that is nothing more than marketing. You are just an extension of someone's branding apparatus and and you you bring nothing to the conversation. If it's just I, I know I know some I, I do star ratings on Letterboxd because Letterbox, you either have to culture jam and give everything the same star rating to negate the system or you just click because it's a thing. But but if all you're doing, if the final summation of of your approach to art criticism is simply a star rating, and is it good or not, you 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 are like, I'm sorry, but like send an invoice to to Disney Marvel PR, like like what are you doing that work unpaid for? Absolutely, Get the fuck out of here with that shit. <laughs> this makes me so mad. Like have a have a real conversation. It doesn't even have to be what we talk about, right? Like we're we're just a facet of, of all of the myriad of important and useful and beautiful conversations you can have about art. There's so many other really good film criticism shows out there and writers and and just kind of yeah, artists themselves. But like oh my god the the fucking oof oof <laughs> I I we got it we he was he
1: was he was spitting. <laughs> <laughs>
0: But but how about you? Any 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 parting thoughts about our our wayward cast of minors?
1: Yeah, it's like, is this a good movie? Uh, it, it's not really an interesting question to me. Yeah, it's not even really a kind of helpful question. It's, it is. It's an interesting film, and I like the fact. I like the fact that it is trying to do things. It's try. It's it's. It shows the ways in which liberalism has a kind of, like, contradiction within it. The seeds of its mm-hmm. own own destruction uh, can be found there. And I'm like, it's, it's a kind of relic of something, right? And it's important to try and pull what we can out of it.
0: We hope you've enjoyed the Dread Discourse. Until next week, stay spooky.